This show is brought to you by Whatever You Say Productions, starting conversations since 2018. Whoosh. Yeah. <laughs> very, very <laughs> I don't think we've ever started an episode that way, but you know what? I'll take it. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to episode eight of Microscope. We're chugging right along, and we're thrilled to have you with us. My name is Samantha. And my name is Mike. And today we are going back to talking about sort of how can we educate the public on climate change. And today let's talk a little bit about how can we have children influence their parents. Thank goodness. But before we get into (laughs) it, Mike, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's freezing out here in Arizona. Well, freezing, it's, you know, 74, but like the... Oh, oh freezing. <laughs> I was in a parka today, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so tell, I think we have a very exciting announcement that we can make regarding the show. And I will let you make it because the show is named after you. Well, thank you. So I'd <laughs> like <laughs> I'd like to announce to everyone that... I officially switched my car insurance to Geico. Geico? And a bunch of money on my car insurance. Or, you say 15% or more? <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> I had to. I absolutely had to. <laughs> in addition, no, so, <laughs> in addition to real, saving money. Right, addition to saving money because I'm so poor. No, so super exciting news. So what, two weeks ago when... I sat down with Kevin and we were talking and we had that wonderful episode. You know, him and I went and got drinks afterwards and, you know, I decided that I wanted to offer him the position as a new co-host to Microscope. And he reluctantly, or maybe reluctantly isn't the right word, but excitingly, (laughs) reluctantly, I think it's emphatically. I hope he wasn't reluctant. He signed his contract. (laughs) God. So no, we have Kevin, a f- Yeah, you yes. go for Kevin, it. Kevin has officially accepted our offer from Whatever You Say Productions to be a regular host on this show. And we are so proud. We are thrilled. We're so looking forward to this. I mean, look, you guys, I know that I'm not a scientist. I never <laughs> pretended to be one ever. And I really think that this show needed another voice that was sort of in between myself and Mike. So what I love so much about Kevin is not only is he a fantastic person, but he can talk like a normal person, which is something that you struggle with. (laughs) And he can also talk like a scientist, which is something I struggle with. So he's sort of like the best of both worlds. I think that he's fascinating. And I, I will speak for Kevin right now. He is really excited to be with us. So we are just thrilled. Kevin is going to be a regular host on the show. He's busy for the next couple of weeks, so hopefully in the episodes coming, he will be on regularly, and Kevin and Mike will just kind of take it away and talk about whatever. Now, another semi-exciting announcement. We, I mean, I've said this before on the other shows. I don't know if I've said it on this show. Microscope is my favorite podcast that we have. because you say it's that so, every episode, and we love it. It's so near and dear to my heart. I just love the planet. I love animals. I want to help. I want to understand. And so 
we're really excited because we finally found the perfect way to build out our show and build out the brand of this show. So we've been thinking a lot about microscope and really what it means. And so much of the conversations focus around environmental science and climate change and what's happening in all the environments. But we felt like we needed and all the different ecosystems. Pardon me. Look, I'm learning and I'm self-correcting. Are you proud of me? <laughs> Very clapping so, for you. Thank you. Thank you. So we felt like, you know, because I did the research and a lot of our audience is actually not scientists. Like it's a 50-50 split. We have a lot of people that are in academia, but then we have a lot of people that just want to be a part of the conversation. And so on our Instagram, which you can follow at underscore microscope underscore. And of course, you guys know microscope is spelled with a K instead of a C because it's named after Mike. We have started oh. a little web series <laughs> called Through the Garden Gate that features my mother, Lely. And sometimes I kind of pop in and out. And it's all about DIY tips for gardening, landscaping, and floral design. But it also goes beyond that. We're going to be coming out with more episodes where we talk about different plants, different trees, different bushes, how to identify when they're healthy versus when they really need some help, um, where to put what. You know, because the, Mike, I'm, I don't know if you know this, but the gardening industry in general has had a massive boom over the last few years. And we're talking in the billions. And it's all these people that really want to start gardening, but they don't really know where to start. And so we want to help save people some time and money. And that's why we do Through the Garden Gate. But we're not here to just talk about Through the Garden Gate. We're here to talk about how, thank goodness gracious, children really truly are the answer when it comes to understanding climate change, making it a at least a United States-wide um awareness so that we can have a more positive impact on the world around us so the good news in this is that children can foster climate change concerns among their parents oh, we're going to be talking about away. you gave it all away well i didn't give it all away i think that we knew that children have influence but i want to dig into this study and it was by lawson and his team at north carolina state university lawson's a and he he really is. We do a lot of reviews of, <laughs> of his work. So no, wait. Let's talk no, about Lawson this. is actually Daniela. Lawson's her last what? name. Who's Daniela? So her name is Daniela Lawson. Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought it was Daniel. <laughs> this is no. what happens. This is what happens when I lose my glasses. Daniela, I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. So we do review a lot of her work on this show. So let's talk about this. Um, I'm going to start things off by saying that minimizing climate change impacts really requires an immediate collective action. But here's the problem. The polarization of climate change persists while a level of concern does not match the severity of the imminent impacts. So basically, in order for us to really grasp and take control of climate change and reverse the effects, uh, we're getting the message out loud and clear. We discussed this in a previous episode where 66% of Americans do acknowledge that climate change is a thing with 22% of that 66 being able to properly identify exactly what climate change is. But the problem is 
even though those people do recognize it's a problem, the level of the actual concern is not high enough, which means that not enough people are changing their lifestyle and or mindset. So Mike, why don't you really get into this study and talk about what it was all about? Yeah, sure. So the level at which climate change is going to impact every single one of our lives is intense, right? It's a very dangerous situation that we're in, right? Just like Bill Nye said, the earth is on fucking fire, okay? <laughs> fucking fire. Oh, God, I love that. I can listen to that over and over again, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we have to we have to tackle this problem from many different strategies. And one strategy is to get more of community engagement. And to do that, you really need to be able to communicate the severity of climate change among different socio-ideological communities. And one method that Lawson et al., or maybe we'll just call her Daniela because I've never met her, but she she did this, so she sounds like a wonderful person, right? So one method that... <laughs> One method that Danielle thought was this idea of intergenerational learning. So to put this in the context, you teach the younger generation sort of this topic, uh, in our case, climate change, and they in turn help to shift their parents, right? And in okay. most cases, the parents have more influence because they have more power, they have more jobs, they interact with more people. And like children who, you know, me who went to a Catholic school for – Jeez, too long, <laughs> like 12 years. <laughs> I interacted with the same like 100 people every single day for 12 years. So mm -hmm. essentially they wanted to tackle the idea of like, can this method of intergenerational learning be used to help shift views and engagement in climate change within their parents? And so the really nice thing about, um, I guess we should call them adolescents because that's mm – -hmm like the proper term, right? So <laughs> adolescents are essentially less influenced by soci socio-ideological factors. So you're not going right. to talk to like a 10-year-old who's, oh, I'm Democrat, I'm Republican, I'm independent. Right. <laughs> They're yeah. like, I'm a Power Ranger or like, I want to be a fireman. <laughs> I want to be a bird, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? That was that so, kid that was like, when I grow up, I want to be a turtle or something like that. I'm like, good for you, right. kid. Before we go any further, as someone who taught preschool for 10 years, I want to talk about adolescents and children and the special relationship that they do have with their parents and or guardians. Because children really are less influenced by the social ideological factors in comparison to adults. So like you said, Mike, they're not going to sit around and be like, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm a liberal, I'm this, that, or there. Children are very black and white. It's very, this is right, this is wrong, this is what I think, and I'm going to go and eat my graham crackers, and please don't bother me for the next 10 minutes. So <laughs> really understanding that that dynamic is real, and not only is that dynamic real, but that influence is very real, right? So children have a really special relationship with their parents, not only because their family, but also because oftentimes parents view their children as a direct reflection of themselves, their ideals, how they interact with people, how they solve problems, how they react to things. And so if we can really recognize that, but handle it with great care, I feel very strongly 
that the special relationship between children and their parents may be able to transcend those socio-ideological barriers and bring that really critical shift in climate change concerns. Um, But this then begs the question, you know, how exactly do we do this? We really need to understand before we get all excited, right? We really need to have a clear understanding of the possibility and degree of which intergenerational learning can impact climate change concerns. So I'm not talking just awareness, because awareness is one thing. Concern is different. Awareness is- Concern results in action. Exactly. Awareness is just, oh, heavens, this is a problem. Let me go and buy some more plastic. Concern is, well, (laughs) wait a minute. I should probably be using reusable bags and buy glass. So, Mike, I'd love for you to talk about the study that Daniela Lawson did with her colleagues. So, yes. Essentially, they started out because Sam sort of alluded to it earlier that, like, yes, children are able to impact their parents' thinking but when they started this study it was sort of like huh this has worked in other cases will it work in this case we don't know so they conducted this study by collecting 30 teachers which participated in it and they were separated randomly into two different groups the first group was the treatment group and the second group was the control group The only difference, right, everything was business as usual. The students still went to class. They still did math, English. I don't know. What else do you take in grammar school? I don't even know. Uh, Science. (laughs) Oh, science. (laughs) Reading, writing. Okay, right. So moving on. So business as usual. But the only difference is that in the treatment group, those teachers conducted uh, a specific curriculum that only consisted of four classroom activities and then a field-based service project over the course of the semester so it wasn't like they had a separate class that they learned about it every day it was just like once a month or essentially once a month because a semester is really about five five months so it was something they did very infrequently and what they did is they measured how this affected both the parents and the children the children's or the parents and the children's opinions over the course of two years, right? Before I get into what they found out, I want to touch on how how they conducted this study and how well it was done. Because I think when a lot of people look at these sociology-based studies, they're like, oh, well, they didn't take this into consideration or they didn't take that into consideration. And don't get me wrong, a lot of studies do that, and a lot of it's not because they forgot to do it, but because in some cases it's very, very difficult, and they don't have the resources to carry it out. Mm-hmm. Luckily, Danielle Larson and her group actually had what they needed. So within these two groups, and when they talked to the parents and the children, they controlled for many different variables that could come into play. Okay. And some of these include how much those families actually talk about climate change, right? The child and the parent gender, the child and the parent race, the parent's political ideology, and the demographics of both the children, the parent, and the teacher. So they okay. looked. 
they looked at everything. I want to add a little something to this, if you don't mind. So when you say families actually talked about climate change, I'd like to give a personal, uh, not a demonstration, heavens no, (laughs) a personal (laughs) example of exactly what this demonstrate. Yeah, I please, you don't want a demonstration of me. I'll be like, here's the baking soda and here's the vinegar. And if you mix them together, I think it explodes. Like, no, I am not a scientist. That is not what I'm here for. But I want to talk about those conversations because those conversations were very, very much a part of my own childhood. Not only the ones that I would have at home, but the ones that I also had at school. I can remember clear as day being five years old. I was in preschool and I will never forget our teacher was eating an apple. We all had an apple for snack. And then we were instructed to eat everything except the core. We then brought the core outside and we dug a hole in the dirt and we all put our cores in and we filled it up with dirt. And she explained to us, okay, so apples come from the earth. And what we're doing is we're putting them back into the earth. And what's going to happen is all the worms are going to eat them. And this is going to become dirt again. And she explained it in such a way. She goes, they're, they're not necessarily going to become more apples. It really just breaks down and whatever. But that was something that we did. So it's things like that. It's examples and experiences like that that can take place in school or at home. But then at home, my family forever, we've separated everything. Plastics, glass, cardboards, waste. Forever and ever and ever. So when we're giving the example that families talk about climate change, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Are you bringing reusable bags to the store every time you go? Are you recycling in your home? Are you just throwing everything in one garbage bag? Like those conversations need to be taking place. So that's what, that's what the study meant. Anyways, Mike, carry on. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) so right. They did take a lot of these things into consideration and that's why the impact of this study is actually really, really important because they eliminated all of those specific variables. So this study found four key things. And the first is, you know, probably not super surprising, but the children who participated in the climate change curriculum showed a larger increase in climate change concern than students who didn't. Although, because this was conducted over the course of two years, and we've probably all noticed that climate change discussions have increased. Um, both groups, both the control and the climate change curriculum group, both showed increase in climate change concern. So I think that's interesting in that even though one group of students was sort of inundated with climate change curriculum, you know, were inundated with those sort of like ideals regardless like both groups are just like oh shit yeah climate change is actually a thing the second key thing that they found was that children in the treatment group foster more climate change concern among their parents than the control and then again right even though the treatment group fostered more concern in their parents the control group the control group's parents also showed an increase in climate change concerns. So I think within this short amount of time, like regardless of whether or not the students were taught, there has been a shift in overall concern for climate change. So the third key finding was that 
changes in parents' climate change concern was more pronounced among families that are considered more resistant to climate change community. And the groups that they identified it are identified as being more resistant were conservative parents who had the lowest uh, levels at the beginning. So I think this is interesting because so far in the three things that they found, yes, the curriculum that they – yes, the treatment group showed a greater increase. Regardless, there has been an overall impact um, in climate change concern over, over during the course of the study. So right – the control group showed – the children in the control group showed an increase in climate change concern. The um, parents showed an increase in concern. And then those who are considered resistant to climate change concern also increased. But there was just a greater yeah. increase among parents or among the children who uh, went through the curriculum. And Sam, do you want to do the fourth one because this makes you really excited? And you're so happy about <laughs> I it. I do. I'm happy about it too. I do. Like, I also just need to like stop talking for a second. I don't know if all I of you do. can hear me, but I'm over here dying of allergies. So key finding number four, which thank you, it is very near and dear to my heart, was that daughters were more effective than sons in fostering climate change concerns among their parents. And look, like I'm not trying to play sides. I'm not trying to play favorites. But I can pretty much get my father to do almost anything that I want him to do, I can make him flip. Like, oh, Sam, you can't, like, you can't have candy this week because your mom said so. Well, go find your dad because dad will <laughs> let you have candy. As long as dad also gets to eat a candy bar, you will get a candy bar too. And I'd also like, look, I don't want to bring politics into this too much, but I would like to give a shout out to conservative parents. I think that Republicans and conservatives in general are, or rather, can be known for not acknowledging climate change. And also, it's not just climate change. They also oftentimes don't acknowledge that there are animals that are going extinct and that sort of this, you know, hunting for sport with these endangered species is just not, it's not a good idea. And like, please go shoot a squirrel. We have plenty of those if you need to shoot something. But as a fellow conservative myself, I do think that heads can be turned, perspectives can be added to, especially when it comes to the health and longevity of our planet and our species. So that is awesome. I will not bring any more politics into it. Now, Mike, you did take the, you took it upon your dear self to share with me an inspiring bar chart. Would you like to quickly talk about what we're looking at here? Yes. I don't know if anybody else can see this. <laughs> we'll post it on Instagram. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I don't know if anybody's noticed, but on my personal microscope account, I've been trying to post more figures from these scientific papers because I think when people hear science and studies, they're like, oh, God, yeah, whatever. I don't know what people did. But like the level and, you know, the time and effort that people put into finding these trends and sort of figuring out what all this data means is immense. So yeah, when I find like a really pretty figure, I, I I get it. I'm just like, they put in the time, the effort, the color scheme's amazing. Like, uh, I have I have one I'll post and I'll show you all in a couple of days. Let's give it some. So we're gonna post a teaser. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what photo? No, okay. 
So essentially what Mike is trying to say is anytime he sees something pretty, he wants to post about it. And oftentimes, while you and I might think that a flower or a sunset is pretty, Mike looks at a bar chart and is like, oh, wow. So <laughs> I'm like, what yes, we're looking at. got it. Is, <laughs> and like, it's I don't funny the effort because... that goes into it. Well, here's the thing. If you guys follow us on Instagram, you know that Mike just made a public Instagram account and it's at Microscope Mike. And you can tell because both Mike and I run that account. You can tell the difference between when Mike is posting something and when I'm posting something, because whenever it's me, it's like, wow, look at this leaf, look at this flower. And then when Mike is posting it, he's like, this is a thymonium hygloculate septococcus. Uh, AKA an artichoke. <laughs> oh, are you are you talking about that Alzheimer's post that I posted recently? No, that was actually that was very good. I like that. It's anyway, pretty, so right like, here's what we're looking at. So with this particular chart, we're looking at the parent climate change concerns as a functional uh, or as a function of political ideology, as well as the climate change concerns for fathers and mothers. So it's really really interesting. But you know. We won't get too into it because you can find it on Instagram. Go follow us. Mike, we always like to end every episode with what we can do. And you've been giving a lot of suggestions. I would like to give a suggestion. Just talk to your kids. Whether you have a massive backyard or access to a state park or whatever, or you live in an apartment complex that's surrounded by weed and grass, Talk to your kids. Point that <laughs> stuff out. Explain, like, that's a dandelion. And, like, obviously, like, you live here. So if you step on it or if you pour your soda on top of it, like, the dandelion's not going to be happy. But if you leave it be, it's going to be just fine. Just talk to your kids about nature. Talk to them about the world that's around them. Allow them to connect with us at Microscope. Allow them to listen to the show. Let them watch PBS and, uh, you know, National Geographic and all those other wonderful channels that are doing everything they can to bring awareness to the world around us. I think that it's all about just exposure and having those conversations. And look, parents, you don't have to be an expert. Like my parents exposed this to me my entire life. And my mother was a medical assistant and my father was a yacht broker. Like they're not scientists like Mike, but they still taught me how to have an appreciation for the beautiful things that are around me in nature. And you can absolutely do that as well. Mike, do you have any other suggestions? No, I, that was honestly, essentially exactly what I was going to say. Yay. It took like, the talk right to out your kids, mouth. Take a parent. Yeah. And just talk to no, I don't, you're, you're always a good parent. Always. I think well, that every parent is a great parent and everyone does what they feel is best for their child. But if you want your child to have an understanding of nature around them, point little things out, whether it's a tree or the texture of a bark or even looking at different rocks that you might find if you take a walk around your backyard or take a walk around your neighborhood. You know, I can guarantee you'll probably find um, just some like normal rocks, but you also might find some, um, what am I thinking, quartz? Is that what I'm thinking of? The white rocks? Yeah. Like, yeah. you can literally find anything anywhere. Get them curious. Get them involved with the physical things that are around them because that's that's how you foster this. That's how you spark their curiosity. And that's how you get them to ask questions. Um, so I just, I'm so, Mike, thank you very much for doing this episode with me. I'm so excited about Kevin. I think this is just going to be so fantastic going forward. So 
Of course, you know where to find us. You can follow us on Instagram at underscore microscope underscore. You can follow Mike at microscope Mike. You can follow me at whatever you say, babe. You can learn more at www.microscopepodcast.com. Thank you so much for joining us. We're looking forward to having you get to know Kevin a little bit better. Once again, my name is Samantha. And my name is Mike. And thank you all for joining us. Thank you for listening to Microscope, presented by Whatever You Say Productions. Learn more at microscopepodcast.com. That's M-I-K-R-O-S-C-O-P-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com.